0: today I want to deal with the topic of how much should you compromise to make a relationship work as a Christian? How much should you compromise? Now, I'm particularly passionate about this topic because of all the things people ask me about my single status, it is the statement that follows afterwards that's perhaps the most stressful of all. They say, don't you think you just have too high a standard. And that's a very stressful thing to say because by implication, of course, your spouse shouldn't be pleased with you. It suggests that you fell in love by a compromise of lowering your standards. And that I don't think is biblical. So I think we should talk about that conversation. The title Crazy Love comes from an interpretation out of the message of 2 Corinthians 5. It says, if I acted crazy, I should do it for God. I did it for God, and if I acted overly serious, I'll do it for you. Christ's love has moved me to such extremes. His love has the first and last word in everything we do. I want to encourage an affection, an action that is extreme because we love God, and then out of our loving God, we love one another with that same a craziness of generosity. The idea that we fall in love and get crazy, it should it shouldn't be a good excuse. It's the love of God that makes us extreme, not uh, earthly and worldly affection. Can, can we say amen to that? It's because we love God. And we love God in one another that uh, should do that. And so I've already handled counterfeit relationship. I, I, if you want to catch up on that, the Principle there is never been in a relationship where you have to be fake to stay in it. That's the punchline, if, you, if you'd like to go and have a look at some scripture around that. And then secondly, last week we talked about uh, contaminated relationships. We talked about the risk of having a relationship that, um, that, 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 whose atmosphere is toxic and how dangerous uh, that can be. Uh, to, today, I, I want to talk to you about compromise uh, in relationships um, from the perspective of whether God, even in Scripture, has any guidance on compromising in order to agree. It's the most common term these days, is that if there's disagreement in a relationship, or there's disagreement in a business, or in any relational transaction, then the idea is that each of you should compromise a little so that everybody wins a little, and then you resolve it. i want to challenge that notion. Is that biblical? Is it biblical that what we ought to do to reach an agreement is that we should compromise? Now I must tell you that there will be some compromising all the time in uh, non-eternal matters. You'll go to the shops and you'll want to buy this, and your bank card will say that, and you'll you'll have to you'll have to just reach a compromise, won't you? Guess who wins in the battle between what you want and what you can afford? Well, well. The, the, The credit card. Um, So they're they're going to be matters that we're always kind of negotiating with parenting. Uh, You know, I've observed, not being a parent of little kids, I've observed it's a constant relationship of compromise. Compromise. And I have seen some of the most amazing negotiations take place in uh, on any level. Better negotiations at the parenting room than at the boardroom. Sometimes I watched one parent uh, a, a couple of weeks ago. I was at a get together and. Uh, The the, the older child wanted to eat what the little child was eating and the little child was eating sort of very baby stuff and the older child had ordered something more adult and there was this thing now and a, a debate was taking place and the great negotiator, the dad said, only babies eat that. Oh, then the adult child, the older child wasn't going to eat. But the problem is the baby also didn't now want to eat what <laughs> babies eat. And the baby also wanted to be grown, grown up. There's a, there are matters for which we negotiate all the time. But there are boundaries where we should not compromise. And we live in a world in which compromising seems to be the big thing. And we are conflicted in compromise because uh, we've been somehow taught in the world in which we live in that I should accept uh, everything and everybody because there should be space for everything and everybody. And I love everybody. And because I do that, I should create a space where everything is okay. And I. I think that that might be corroding some of the healthy protections that God put around us so that there are some things at which we, not just the Lord, but we should say, that's not okay. That's not okay. And I'm, I'm sure you could imagine that if you in your own life uh, uh, established only relationships where everything was always okay to make everybody happy, it probably wouldn't work in my opinion, one of the most dramatic examples of compromise in relationships. And please don't be upset with me for referencing this. Please don't. I know it's old now. It's old news already. So hopefully it won't provoke any unhappiness. But uh, Will Smith, the Will Smith situation, if you're wondering about the Will Smith situation. So he's in what they call an open marriage. So in this open marriage, You can sort of see other people, but just come back home. You know, we've both got keys to the same house. We both pay the bond. That's a nice theory, but it results in you slapping innocent people because... You're so upset, you want to express your frustration at home, but you can't because you've got this weird arrangement. And what's happened there is the boundary that protects something has been broken, and now the heart is hurting, and it's being expressed in anger. You see, there are lines that we should draw. In fact, sometimes you'll want to draw those lines so clearly. For instance, when you own a property, you're not going to allow your neighbour to just take a metre. You know, you don't mind, hey, I'd like to just make my garage maybe. You don't mind if I, I, mean, like, I you're not using it. I mean, you've just got a shrub there. Can I just take a metre? How would you feel about that? You'd be like, hang on, hang on. It's my decision not to use it. I could leave it empty. I might even grow weeds there. Not weed, weeds. <laughs> <laughs> I might even just grow weeds there. Phew. Some of you are like, I've received a word from the Lord in church today. Thank you. I might just do whatever I want to do. Yeah, I don't. No, you wouldn't allow. Why? Because you've said that's my boundary. A boundary is necessary. It, it's essential. In fact, I have one neighbor, the sweetest people. Um, and I, I've got this agreement with them. I went over. I was the neighborly one. I went over. I said, listen, I'm going to grow some trees here. And when, they, when, when you don't have a view of the ocean, you let me know and we'll cut it. So I I introduce that because I like my view of the ocean. I'd like them to have one too. And every now and then I'll get a text message. Sorry, George, man, we can't see the view. So then I'll reply, are you standing? I just want to be clear because I don't, no, no, no. no. (laughs) (laughs) Because from lying down, I cannot assist you. But they're standing, I'm standing, I go there, I trim it very nicely. And the other day I was, I was a little annoyed. I don't know why. It's just total selfishness. I'd finally grown some, what are these things called? Of course, cypress trees. And I'd finally grown them over so that my window doesn't look into their, their, their kitchen and their kitchen doesn't look into my whole house all the way to the bedroom. And I'd finally grown it. And, and, and she popped off a message and said, you know, you don't mind. There's a couple of branches just going over. Do you mind just... I'm like, lady... You have a view. <laughs> I'm going somewhere. And then I said, "Oh, okay. I said, you know, it's, let, let the trees fill up a bit. You know, it's a safety thing. She said, we're putting some electric fence, and if it touches, and that's true. And I just thought how pedantic it is that we take care of our boundary on property that we will have to leave behind one day. And how flexible we've become on boundaries that are eternal and that will define who we are both here and in the life to come. We let the devil grow a branch over. Is that clappable? The devil's growing a branch. We've got people encroaching, stealing a bit of your turf. You've got marketing companies stealing your Sunday. You've got sports codes stealing your Sunday. Everybody gets a piece of you and then you come to church and you give Jesus what's left. Maybe... We can be generous in compromising in some things, but maybe Christians should get a little firmer about the boundary lines. Hey, I think there's some power in that. I want to take you to a story in the scripture, uh, an experience in the scripture. It's not a husband and wife story. There are a couple of husband and wife stories that uh, are are good examples of compromise, Um, but this one's actually about a king and a prophet. And how something went wrong there and the consequence that it had. By the way, the most powerful example of compromise is actually Solomon. Now, Solomon is known for wisdom, of course, and obeying God. But Solomon had a weakness. Solomon had too many wives. Too many wives. Solomon didn't take his advice from the foothills of the KZN mountains, and just had 20 or 30, how many are we on now? Solomon had hundreds of wives. But here was his problem. He not only chose wives from among the people of God, but whenever his kingdom expanded and he conquered more lands, he took wives from the people there. And you know what history recounts? And you can go look it up in Scripture. The wives came with their gods into the temple. And in generation after generation after generation, the the spirit that Solomon introduced into the, the nation popped up as false worship of idols all over the land. And it took generations of godly kings to uproot the spirit because you can receive a person, but the person comes with baggage, luggage, expectations, and anticipations. And that's why in the New Testament, God says, cut that out, uh, uh, have, uh, be the husband of one wife, uh, and, and, and uh, don't be unequally yoked so that you don't have this problem to the future generations. You might be fine, but as the generations go by, it gets tougher. Compromise, you see? And there is a challenge around that. So, so here's the story of what happens. 1 Samuel 13, it says this, uh, Saul... Just heads up, Saul is a king, Samuel is a prophet. Kings had certain responsibilities, prophets had others. Here we go. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. They were about to go into war. Uh, He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, the prophet, but Samuel didn't come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. And so he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offering, and Saul offered up Saul's the king. Offered up the burnt offerings because he didn't want to wait for Samuel the prophet who should do this job, and just as he finished making the offering, Samuel the prophet arrives, and Saul went out to greet him, and then and then Samuel says to him, "What have you done?" And Saul replied, "When I saw the men were scattered, and that we did not come to, uh, you did not come at the set time, and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, I had this brilliant idea, the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favour so I felt compelled to offer the burnt offerings. And Samuel says, you have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the commandments of the Lord your God that he gave you. And if you had, he would have established your kingdom of Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler over the people because you have not kept the Lord's commands. You know, that seems so hectic. But let me tell you a, a little of the practical application of this. It's a story about a man who was waiting for God to come through. Please can a prophet come and pray for me so my business will succeed. Please will somebody come and pray for me so that I'll have the wife God wants for me or the husband God wants for me. Please will God do his part. But it took a bit long. Can we have an amen if anybody feels like some things have taken a bit long? I'll, uh, 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 I'll go first, as they say on TikTok. Tell me you've been waiting long without telling me you've been waiting long. I'll go first. Amen. Thank you. So, so, so Saul, having waited long, and, and he notices that what happens when people wait long is they scatter. They get a bit distracted. So he says, well, who needs who needs a prophet? I'll do it myself. Who needs this? Who needs church? I can do this myself. I can read it for myself. I can praise for myself. I can't reach Vincent's high notes. That I can tell you now. But I can do a thing. Bring me the offering. I'll do it myself. Bring me the offering. And he does his offering. And he violates the relationship between what I can decide for myself and what God says has to be done his way. And he violated the relationship of respect with God and established his own rules under which things should happen. And you know what the prophet said? You've been very unwise. Because the thing that could have lasted forever now is going to last a short amount of time. You've got to work extra hard on it. That which God was going to do for a lifetime and the next generation and the next generation is now lost. Thankfully, we live in the New Testament. And in the New Testament, God doesn't punish us to generations. He blesses us to generations and he stops our sins at the cross. I'm very grateful for that, but I've learned don't violate the relationship between what God wants to do and what I want to do. I believe in compromise. It is my compromising my will in order to be able to say your will be done. That's where compromise takes place. I surrender to the authority of Christ. Now, when you have a relationship where that isn't the case, where Christ isn't the final say, then you compromise with each other. And that's called a power struggle. That's called a power struggle. And when you have a power struggle, you have some winners and you have some losers. Well, when I surrender to Christ, it's clear where the power comes from. I'm not struggling for power. Christ is my king. And I am happy to lose to an eternal purpose. I'll have an earthly purpose fail so that I can win at an eternal purpose. Can you say amen to that? And here's the the principle that we can uh, uh, navigate our hearts towards. And that is that I simply... I can't find any justification in Scripture for humans compromising with one another to achieve a middle ground. I don't believe that God ever called us to a middle ground. My read of Scripture is that God called us to higher ground. Not somewhere in the middle, not somewhere at the bottom, not somewhere which is the merge of two insecure or incomplete people. God has invited me not to be seated at my wife's table or for me to invite my wife one day to be seated at my table. God has invited both my wife and I to be seated along Christ, uh, to the right-hand side of Christ Jesus at the table of the Lord. You know there's revival when the clapping starts from the back, eh? You know that that is, uh, you're sitting at the wrong table, pleasing the wrong people. That's compromise. The negotiating table, sure, in the boardroom, I get it. But when it comes to our spiritual matters and our relationships, we sit at the table of the Lord. There is something incredibly powerful about that. There's something incredibly powerful about recognizing that our compromise is the surrender of selfishness to the acceptance or the surrender of Christ as Lord. You know, it's challenging. Um, I, I know I'm going to get some emails. People are going to say, "Well, you know, they, you know, they aren't enough." You know, good looking single people at church you know I have to go fish in another pond somewhere so it's always I find it very hurtful when people send me a single person such an email it's like yes no marriage material at church I'm going to go fish them out of the clubs Um, I know the term club is not a term I get it I get it but you know um, don't be impatient and do what Saul did And, and and The timing might not be to your liking, but if you're impatient and you take matters into your own hands and you violate the relationship with God, who is your provider, you shorten what should be eternal and you make it temporary. Don't be impatient. Put your trust in God. Compromise is also never limited to just one area of our lives. After a while, we become experts at compromise and we become too weak or insecure at establishing boundaries. It's suddenly become difficult to say no in a world when we keep saying okay. And God has called us to have some firm no's and some firm yeses. Does the Bible not say, let your yes be yes and your no, no? It's become difficult to reinforce that and yet we should. Psalm 16 verse 8 says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I shall not be moved. I think the, the struggle to, we face it, at being moved is because we don't set the Lord before us and he is not at our right hand. And then we constantly move. Compromise has an additional consequence and that is it may make the two of you partly happy But it never seems to ask the question, does it please the Lord? Whenever I watch compromise taking place, one person says, how about if we do that? And the other person says, no, I don't want to do that. How about if we do that? And when you whittle it down enough, eventually the one looks at the other and says, are you happy with that? Yes, I'm happy. Are you happy with that? Yes, I'm happy. We've got two people who are partially happy. And yet in that conversation, nobody ever asked, is the Lord pleased with that? And so you must start with, does it please the Lord? And then the two of us must compromise toward pleasing the Lord. That becomes hugely, hugely important. Hey, I did a wedding last week in Pretoria. It was very nice. Soccer player, Orlando Pirates, Wade Yerster, midfielder. So I said to some of the team, I don't know enough about soccer or football. Can you please text me some comments? I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that because they texted me stuff I shouldn't have said. One person texted and said, ask the congregation what they feel about Man United. (laughs) And they got the exact same reaction. You see what you did? I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Isaiah. I've read Samuel. You haven't reacted. I said, Man United, you're upset. Apparently, it's not going well. I don't know. They must put Jesus first. I don't know. I'm saying all the wrong things. I know I'm causing trouble. Yeah. Do you know, I did this wedding. It was a a wonderful opportunity to have a conversation about what God expects. There's that moment in every wedding where there is a surrender. In sickness and in health, for richer or poorer, till death to us part, forsaking all others. What lovely words. What intense words. But here's the deal. Don't do that if Jesus is not the Lord of your marriage. Because forsaking all else for a broken person, just as broken as you are, and in richer and in poorer with all the bad habits that everyone has, do that and you may live to regret it. Do it for the Lord. And you will never regret it. If Christ is the center of my life, I will forsake, sacrifice anything for anybody else. Because I look to the Lord for my reward. I don't look at somebody else and say, pay me back for the things that I have done for you so far. We're not in a transaction where we keep score. It is God who sees and it is God who rewards And there are some of you listening to this message and you feel like you gave more than you gained. You feel like you were the servant and it didn't end well and you feel like you're losing rather than ever receiving. But I want you to know, never to look to man, never to look to one another, look to the Lord because the Lord sees in heaven what you have done in the privacy of your own life and the Lord is your great reward. The Lord is your reward. If you put Him in that place, He'll be your reward. Over the next few minutes, I want to encourage you on an alternative to compromise the way the world does it, which is to try and make two people a little bit happy. Instead, to compromise in a way that pleases the Lord, and then the rest will follow. The first idea is that you have to have a boundary on what's foundational in your life. What's foundational in your life? I go into some homes and I've learned now over the years when you visit and people invite you to the lounge. I always ask now, where would you like me to sit? And I'll tell you why I ask that. Because every home has a system. And I have in the past gone and sat down on Opus chair. Not knowing that's Opa's chair. It's Opa's chair even if Opa's not there. Even if Opa has gone to be with the Lord, that is Opa's chair. And when you sit there, the atmosphere in the room, it's like the spirit of something has come in. I look for signs. Where the slippers? Where's the coffee mug? Next to which chair? I don't, I don't even look for Sorry, where would you like me to sit? Now, some people say anywhere, but they don't mean it. No, they don't mean it. If there's chairs, they try to work out which is the best chair, and they're not there. Not there. If it's a rocking chair, keep moving, keep moving. Look for a bench, look for a tree stump that has been painted black. Just keep moving, keep moving. Don't sit there. Some people will say straight out, listen, uh, uh, Pa sits here, eh? And that's Pa talking. Pa refers to himself as Pa. Pa says, Pa says, You can sit anywhere else you want, except then that that's where my wife sits. Huh? Okay, anywhere else? Here, here I am, like in boarding school, with my tin tray of food. Where can I, where do I sit? As funny as that is, do you know, uh, I think spiritually, uh, we need some of that, just a little bit of that spiritually. The Lord sits there. Uh, what happens with our money? Uh, The Lord is the CEO. When it comes to my finances, I I have a CEO, and his name is Jesus Christ. I ask him how the budget should work. And when I've worked it out, I ask him for his approval, his favor, and his blessing on my budget. I am not the CEO of my own finances. I've got a CEO. I don't sit there. And if something's going to come and want to handle my money, please don't sit on that chair. That's the chair that Jesus Occupies. Do you know how many times an accountant has said to me or an auditor said to me, why are you giving so much money away? It doesn't make sense. I'm not asking you to decide. I'm just asking you to write it down. You're sitting in pasture. Go find a tree stump somewhere that's been painted black as a leaf. As it is, your seat is costing me 25,000 rand, so... There needs to be a sense of that kind of authority so that it's not usurped. What is foundational to you? James chapter four says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. You've got to do what you know at least. First Thessalonians 5, 21 says, test everything, hold fast what is good. This culture of evaluating things on the basis of, does it please the Lord? Romans 12, of course, says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We don't test stuff enough. Before you marry someone, test them. Don't be testy. That's a whole nother counseling session. Test them. You're wondering what I mean. Hey babe, we're going to go to church today. Yeah, sure. Let's go. Oh babe, I don't feel like going to church. It's foundational, babe. We are church people. Let's go. But babe, Netflix has just released the latest episode. The latest episode of Game of Thrones. Babe. Babe. We don't play games when it comes to the throne. (laughs) Let's go. (sighs) Test, test, test. So that we can hold on to what is good. People fake it before they marry and then get testy after they get married and then the real test is on. Secondly, you build a relationship where the compromise is me surrendering to the Lord and not compromising with one another all the time by committing yourself to foundational things but also to the fullness of what God has in mind. Fullness. Do you know, I... I think the full gospel is important, not just part of it. I think all of the benefits should be our benefits, not just some of the benefits. And when we compromise, we have to be careful that we're not taking stuff out of the box of the goodness of God, the power of the Word, and the Spirit of God. Don't empty your treasure chest for nothing. The fullness of it. It's great that two people can agree on everything. Oh, we are just, we, he finishes my sentences for me. We're like this. We love each other so much, we don't need words anymore. I just give her a look, she knows what I'm thinking. Oh, it's just so wonderful. You know, the, we do, weeks will go by. We don't need words. We are so in love. We haven't fought since the 90s. I always love it when people say that. You don't, what you don't know is that you're in one continuous fight uh, and the uh, tool used is silence. There will come a day, and on that day, everything you ever said and did since the 90s is going to be announced to you. That, that day is coming. Better fight today. No, 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 no. That was just a joke. Please don't do that in the car. There, you guys are fighting. By the way, if you are going to stick around and have a fight, do it over food because um, there's a food truck outside and it's it's one of our projects at Father's House. We partner with an organisation called Masefunde. The guy who heads it up is Jonas and he just won citizen of the year in Mandela Bay. And we provide the baristas and the cook people and it is a social upliftment project so I think you should, you should try it out I think what the foundation is doing is incredible literally employing people all over the place, so you, should, you should fight over which sandwich to buy today but fullness, here's what I mean, he finishes my sentences, she finishes my sentences all of that is wonderful but even an unbeliever can say that, what you must be able to say is that God spoke to us We prayed about it and we're both in agreement. See, that's full gospel. That's full stuff. That's that's not just uh, uh what are those things called? Uh finger snack Christianity. That's a race flesh, and artiples Christianity. That is a Okay, that needs a translation. That's the meat and potatoes and rice. It doesn't sound the same and it just sounds very That's like solid stuff. With that you build sort of a nation. You need the full gospel. Don't compromise on that. I know that anybody can get together with anybody and two people who are decent and wonderful can make a life together. But I'm asking you to do more than make a life together. I'm asking you to be a temple together, a place in which God dwells by his spirit, a place in which the authority of God's word finishes your sentences for you. And songs of praise don't have to be sung quietly because you don't wanna irritate somebody in your house. Matthew 6 says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. But the principle, of course, is the same. You need something foundational to you. Make a big foundation. You need the fullness of what God has for you. Fullness of what God has for you. Not just some of it. You know, you don't just want a marriage God blesses. You want a marriage God is in and operates through to change the world. I was telling you about this wedding. Um, it, was, it was quite funny. It's the only wedding I've done where the groom was late. He was late by an hour. Yeah, ne. But we were stuck there, you know, on one of those wedding locations where you've traveled far now. So you just say, his outfit didn't didn't arrive. I mean, it sounds like a broad um, sort of conversation. It's just a groom conversation. Anyway, they wanted me to do a rope tying ceremony. I I haven't done one before. I've done other things, candle lighting and sand throwing and lots of different interpretations of Proverbs. But not a rope tying one, so I I had to look it up a bit. It's quite cool. It's that Ecclesiastes scripture that says two is better than one, but a three-strand cord no one can break. So they take a rope and two others, uh, like a shape of a cross sort of, and they tied it up, and they had it on a little plaque with the scripture on there, and they're going to put it on the wall. And in the middle of the ceremony, the Lord said to me, untie that thing and make them tight in front of God. So I untied it to the brides, you know, because you don't mess with the brides' plans. It's like, Plus, we're late, so we're chasing the golden hour for the photographer. I can see the sun setting. She knows the photographers we have got super sports there because he's a sports car. They also want the golden light hour, whatever, whatever. I'm like, untie that thing. I don't know who tied that knot. You are tying that knot. This is God. This is you, sir. This is you, ma'am. Tight and they couldn't work it out. And this one has to hold that, and that one has to hold this. And, and she said, Babe, maybe if you just do it like that, no, that's just going to slip and it's not tight enough. It's not going to stay like that. And they a three-quart strand. Babe, let's not do it like that. Let's not tie it that way. That's a bit weak. That's not a strong enough knot, babe. We're going to talk about it another way. You're going to, you're going to need me to hold this while you do your bit. And then will you please hold. You just give the flowers away. I get, my, get my hands loose now. Stop holding things that have no purpose. Let me just get in there and uh, sort it out. And then, uh, you know, is it tight? Yeah, it's tight. No, this can hold something. No, this can. When they put that thing on their house, I want them to know they put that thing together. Not a best friend of a bridesmaid of, of a friend of a friend who tied the whole thing up. You need to form a knot. Yeah. And Christ needs to be at its centre. Yeah. One last comment about that reading, then we'll go to my final point and call it a day. My final point is faithfulness by the way. Compromise is not useful when it comes to faithfulness. Uh, it was a coolest way of getting rings delivered to the minister they had an English bulldog a giant one and the rings were tied to the neck of the English bulldog and he was invited to come to me now I am about the height of an English bulldog (laughs) standing up and I had to look so excited to receive this dog I have never met before. Various episodes of Stranger Things going through my mind as I, come here, boy. My fingers. it's just take like the, <laughs> ah, that was a, that was a, that was a moment I want you to know. There's not a lot of pastors who will do that for you at your weddings. Let me tell you. Under great sac- sacrifice and suffering, do we marry you people? um a uh, uh, faithfulness how are you faithful to something if the default setting is if i don't like it i'll reach a new compromise faithful and we have to i think we have to create a new culture around faithfulness faithfulness is no longer faithfulness has become an um, it's cheap Do you know, the world is faithful mostly to itself. I look after myself. Or the world has become faithful to an image. But the body of Christ, Christians, we need to cultivate a higher degree of faithfulness to who God called us to be, who God called us to take care of, and what God called us to be on the earth. Faithful. I want you to know that... um, No matter what it takes, sometimes you just gotta get up and do it out of faithfulness, even without feelings. And never tell people that, never say to your wife, babe, today I'm just gonna be faithful. I have no feelings for you today, but I'm just gonna be faithful. Never tell people that, you just hide it in your heart. Do you know what I mean? When I was younger, as a preacher, I'd say stuff, stupid stuff like that. Oh, i I can't tell you how many times I haven't felt like being in church, but here I am. What a stupid statement. Go take that to your prayer closet between you and Jesus. And if you're faithful, you don't moan about how faithful you are. I oh, Just got to be faithful, you know. Shh, it's not being faithful. Just shh, shh, shh. Because you know, it's not just your wife or your husband who hears it. The demons here. Got a tired one here. Let's give him a hard day. Shh, just very quietly. I don't let the devil know. He can't get into my thoughts. He can go past, but he can't get in. I don't let the devil know that my feelings are disconnected. All he must see is faithful. When the devil discusses me on Sundays, they should not ask themselves, where will we find George? 30 Patterson wrote. You'll find him there. I think faithfulness needs to be entrenched in our hearts. And compromise can limit faithfulness. Compromise on earthly things by all means, not on eternal things. 1 Kings, my, my closing scripture, 1 Kings 18 says, and Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, then follow him. Do you know what I love about that verse is the word limp. You develop a limp when you can't make up your mind and you're going between two constant opinions. I remember, I'll close with this. I remember um, speaking to a young man decades ago. Don't try and work it out. It's, you don't know him. It's years ago. It's not night before the wedding. And he said, George, uh, I'm a little stressed because um, uh, how can I be sure this is the one? It's the night before the wedding. But I'll tell you what, going into your wedding, you don't have to have 100% assurance. What you need to have is 100% faithfulness to the Lord. And he will make all things work out according to his good purpose and pleasure. And I want to encourage you today to allow the Lord to lead you even when it's not 100%. I brought that up because I want to encourage you that even when it's not 100%, the Lord will top up the difference. We've got a lot of people in marriages, in relationships who are not at 100%. It's okay. Jesus will fill the gap. You don't have to leave someone. You have to invite Jesus in. And he'll turn it around for you. Can you say amen to that? Would you stand with me as we pray? I'm very aware... that when I teach on a topic like this, that there might be disappointment around perhaps some of the decisions you had to make. And I was in, in the room when you had to make them. So I think about the people who've gotten divorced or have been the victim of a divorce, or initiated a divorce. I think about the people who had hoped it would work out spiritually and it didn't. And now you're married to somebody who's not really interested in church. And I, I want you to know that... Um, God God loves you we love having you around we love you and God is the master um, potter and we're the clay and I don't want you to look at the ideal or the preacher's version of the ideal and go well I want you to know he's a redeemer, a restorer a reworker he is the the, the, the great uh, lover of our soul and He repairs. So I, I want you to be aware of that. And I'm going to invite you to um, a firmness in your heart. Certain things are just the way that it works. No more spirit of compromise. Can you say amen to that? Lord, We we ask you to take charge, to rule and reign in our hearts, to teach us to be affectionate and yet firm, to let our yes be yes and our no-no, and to recognize the one compromise we're all called to is when we say, not my will, but your will be done. Lord, our goal is not just to please one another, but above that, to please you. And in pleasing you, there is a beauty that permeates our lives. Take a moment Lord, to pray for those who've come through brokenness and fought tough fights in their relationships and hoped for something and it didn't work out that way or landed up being divorced or initiated a divorce or landed up in brokenness. Today, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that their story will end well. I thank you, Lord, that there'll be restoration, renewal, revival, and setting of their feet on solid ground. An invitation to sit at the table of the Lord. I thank you for their victory in the name of Jesus. Never feeling inferior as citizens of heaven, but waiting for their king to turn things around as you have assured us you would. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Would you give God a shout of praise and worship and thanksgiving.